0: I love Jared Allen. Fear the The fro. Pow! With the right hand. That's our boy Bob Schmidt. Jared Allen with authority. This is the Fear the Fro podcast, a Cleveland Cavaliers and NBA podcast with Bob Schmidt. Nobody's going to subscribe. Welcome to the Fear the Fro podcast, episode number six. On this podcast covering the Cleveland Cavaliers, covering the NBA, probably more so the NBA today, but from a Cavs perspective. I am Bob Schmidt, the voice of Fox Sports Radio. You can follow the podcast at Fear the Fro Pod on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook. So, not much happening with the Cavs. I guess I'll just start with that coming right out of the gate. This is going to be a much heavier NBA podcast because basically all that's happened in the last week or so has been that the Cavaliers have signed yet another center, adding seven foot five Taco Fall to a one year. Non guaranteed deal. Seldom used, Boston big man coming to camp to join Jared Allen, Evan Mobley, Lowry Marketin, multiple seven footers. Seven footers everywhere. Kind of hard to get too excited about this one, though. It feels similar to the Thonmaker situation. A guy who was somewhat of a fan favorite when he was an unknown prospect, just because of his size and length and, you know, unique. NBA abilities, but probably not a guy who's going to crack the rotation, and maybe not even a guy who stays on the roster. Who knows? Honestly, a little frustrating from my perspective to see them pass on Hartenstein in favor of Taco Fall. I much would have preferred Hartenstein, but for whatever reason, the Cavs are out on him, chose to let him go to free agency, and for whatever reason, Maybe I'm just higher on him than the NBA in general. I thought he showed promise, and I liked his ability to pass, and he showed some awareness and speed and hustle that I don't know that we're going to get out of Taco. I mean, Taco is gigantic. I see him probably getting played off the court for pretty much any team that he comes to. But you can't teach 7'5", so there you have it. He's at least coming to camp, and we'll see what happens from there. Now, the wing issue, still ongoing, but... No real developments there. It is Labor Day. So, according to Chris Fedor, it's about that time that we'll see Colin Sexton extension talks ramp up. But what's dominated the NBA landscape this past week has been Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons and his desire to leave the Philadelphia 76ers, communicated through his agent, Rich Paul, super agent to the Stars super agent to LeBron James, Ben Simmons has no intention of reporting to training camp with the Sixers. He wants out. Now, uh, a slew of things have contributed to that. I'm sure that Joel Embiid's comments last week might have rankled him a little bit, but basically, he ghosted in the playoffs in the most important moments. They got upset by the Atlanta Hawks, and now he wants out. When the going gets tough, Ben Simmons gets going. Now, I personally am not a fan of how this is all playing out, if in no small part because it does worry me, again, about the direction that the NBA is going. So let's recap the events of the past week. Now, we all know what happened with Ben Simmons in the playoffs. He was terrible. Had his worst showing, by far. Shot 35%, not even, 34%. From the free throw line, field goal percentage was solid, but his field goal attempts have gone down every season he's made the playoffs. His first year, when he was 21, shot almost 13 times a game this past postseason, he took less than eight shots a game. And that's over, you know, a two-round sample. Played 12 games. He's gone down from 16 points to 14 points to 12 points while shooting less And his free throw percentage has regressed every postseason, 71% the first year, 58% the second year, 34% this past season. You'll get two camps when it comes to Ben Simmons, because there are a lot of Cavs fans who are interested in bringing in Ben Simmons and building deals that are centered around Colin Sexton going to Philadelphia along with picks. I don't like those deals primarily for a couple reasons. Now, Ben Simmons' biggest advocates will tell you, well, he's one of the best defenders in the NBA. Yeah, he can't shoot, but he can do all the other stuff. We are building a roster at this point where pretty much everybody there is a defense-first player. Jared Allen, Isaac Okoro, even Evan Mobley, for the early part of his career, he's going to make a far bigger impact on the defensive end of the floor than he is on the offensive end until he can hit the jump shot with consistency and space the floor a little better. I'm not really expecting that in year one. I think he has the skills to develop that, but I certainly don't think in the first couple of years of his NBA career, he's going to be a 20-point-per-game scorer. But point being, Ben Simmons is not the solution to our problems. I realize that we can't defend that well in the backcourt, but we also are one of the worst offenses in the NBA. The worst, analytically. So we're going to take Colin Sexton out of the equation to try to put together a package to go after Ben Simmons, who, by the way, my point in bringing all this up before was that Ben Simmons is repped by Clutch, who's the same people that rep Darius Garland, and we see what Rich Paul is doing to the Philadelphia 76ers. Do we really want two of our best players who will account for millions upon millions of dollars of our salary cap, being able to dictate on a whim, just moment to moment, that one or both of them want out. I mean, if it can happen in Philadelphia, who's making it deeper into the playoffs, we have to be realistic. It could 100% happen here. Not only is he handling this Simmons situation in a way that totally screws that team, because again, Ben Simmons is going the route that Paul George went and the route that Anthony Davis went. Anthony Davis, another clutch client, where he makes his intentions known that he, he wants to be traded and that he's not going to resign anywhere. Now, Davis did it far closer to when his contract was over. But my point is, Rich Paul is creating situations that destroy all the Sixers' leverage. We can all agree that all the rumors we were hearing in regards to what The 76ers wanted. There was one this summer with Colin Sexton saying they wanted three or four first round picks and a Coro and Sexton, which was asinine to begin with. But even if that wasn't a legitimate report, even if there was no validity to those rumors, what the Sixers can expect to get from Ben Simmons now that Rich Paul has undercut them by saying that he doesn't intend to come to camp and that he wants to be traded and that he'd prefer to go to one of the California teams. Well, now Philadelphia is not in the driver's seat here. Yes, they can say we'll trade you or we won't trade you, but their options are terrible. They can bring back a guy who's not happy. It doesn't help that one of their best young prospects, Tyrese Maxey, is also represented by Rich Paul. The whole situation is terrible. And it does make you wonder, a week or two ago on this podcast, we talked about Nerland's Noel and how he was suing Clutch Sports for costing him in his words mind you for costing him millions of dollars and for not looking out for his best interests and one of the interesting parts of that story was that nerland's noel said in his lawsuit that philadelphia tried to bring him back as a backup but said that they couldn't get a hold of anyone who was representing him and so in the end he ended up taking less money a second year in oklahoma city And that was part of the lawsuit, basically saying that Rich Paul dropped the ball, that Philly wanted to sign him, and that he wasn't even available. That might have poisoned the well somewhat with Rich Paul, because shortly after that, he's decided to negotiate through the media. Similar to the way that Brett Brown's story leaked that Philadelphia says they were after Noel, but Clutch dropped the the ball. Well now, Rich Paul is using the media to his own advantage, to demand out for his client Ben Simmons. The other thing, that this has kind of got buried in the last week to some degree, unless you're following all the Philadelphia reporters and stuff, but Jason Dumas reported that, and he sort of walked it back, but he reported that Tyrese Maxey also doesn't want to remain in Philadelphia because he's been linked in all these potential trades with Ben Simmons to go to another team, and he canceled actually a community event because he doesn't want to set down roots in a place where he's not in their long-term plans. Now, that's the part of the story that while it's not going to get the attention, because Maxie's not the name Simmons is, that I find absolutely perplexing. That Philadelphia might need to use Maxie alongside Simmons if they intend to bring back some big-name star who has more value than Ben, like a guy like Bradley Beal or a package centered around Damian Lillard, one of those types of deals, yeah, Ben alone might not get it done and you might have to send Maxi. But if I'm Tyrese Maxi, I don't want Rich Paul to burn bridges for me in Philadelphia because there's still a very real possibility that when Simmons gets traded, Maxi becomes an immediate starter minute level player. Simmons is the real impediment. The other clutch client is one of the bigger impediments to him seeing extended run, handling the ball, and initiating the offense. So I don't really understand the tactic Rich Paul is taking, aside from you know flexing and showing everyone that, well, look at all the people I represent. I could screw your whole organization over. But in the meantime, Maxie's taking this tact of letting... I don't like what Maxie's doing in the sense that you saw it happen with Noel. It's great when you're a Rich Paul client, if you're LeBron James or if you're Anthony Davis, where he's going to make the most money off of you and he's always going to advocate for what's in your best interests. But in this situation in Philadelphia, where Rich Paul wants to get Ben Simmons out of there, it feels like he's using Maxi as additional leverage for Ben and not doing what's in the best interests of Maxi. Because in a month, we could be looking at Ben Simmons on another team and the Philadelphia fans pissed that Maxi said he wanted out. When he's lined up to potentially be the starter. It's a weird tactic to take because a city like Philadelphia will overlook a lot of stuff if you're just simply an advocate of playing in Philadelphia. Bryce Drew, he would go through, you know, slumps since he signed that massive contract. But the fans still seemingly by and large love him because he has always advocated since he got there that wanting to play for Philadelphia fans was one of the reasons he came there. And the same thing can be said for Joel Embiid. He said all along he wants to succeed in Philadelphia. It doesn't hurt that he's an incredible player. But Mike Scott is the example of a guy who has been, by and large, trash. But Philadelphia fans loved him because he loved Philadelphia. Even with all this stuff where he got in the dust-ups at the pregame of the Redskins and all that stuff happened, it seems as if he still has the support of the fan base. Maxie is taking an interesting tactic, or rather his agents are, and potentially already alienating him when he could be set for a much larger role. So that brings us back to Ben Simmons, who wants out for reasons unknown, really. Maybe it's a Danny Green thing where he just doesn't like being criticized when he sucks, but he's got to get a thicker skin because if he's trying to go to some California team like the Lakers or the Clippers or the Warriors, he's not going to get less attention there. At some point, being the first overall pick and being this all-world defensive player who just seemingly is one skill away from being completely transcendent, fans are going to have expectations. And people cite his age, oh, he's 24, he's only 25, he's so young. He's played five seasons in the NBA. He's played four seasons, he sat one season, but he's been in the league for five years. Guys usually don't start to regress by year five, and maybe it is an anomaly. The playoffs, the last couple playoffs have not really gone his way, but those are in a vacuum alongside teammates who aren't going to be replicated in other situations because, you know, there's only one ball-dominant Joel Embiid out there that can maximize his attributes and who knows, maybe that's true. But it's hard not to have a bad taste in your mouth after two straight postseasons that have left serious questions as to if Ben Simmons is more of a regular season player who's simply not viable when teams game plan him out of playoff games or not. Not to say that he wouldn't be great on any team, but he's great at $35 million a season while he's no-showed in the playoffs, which is exactly why you acquire a guy who makes $35 million. You need him to be one of your biggest contributors and a big part of what propels you to title aspirations. I mean, you can't put it on the organization that you failed to develop as a player. By all accounts, they wanted you to take more three-point shots. They wanted you to get to the line more. And for whatever reason, Ben Simmons is just unwilling to do it. I don't know if it's that his skills just haven't progressed or that his mentality can't change, but he seems fairly rigid and inflexible when it comes to they're giving him a leash. This is the time when he could experiment and try to expand his game because he's shown that in the form it's at, while he's great, it's not enough to win a title. The fact that Paul wants him out of that situation and that he thinks it's better for Simmons, I feel like Simmons should be leaning into this situation. He has a long leash there to do basically whatever he wants. He's still exceptionally young. He hasn't trended up necessarily. He's racked up some accolades. He's made some All-Star games. He was second in Defensive Player of the Year. He made third-team All-NBA one year, and that's great. And I understand that Philadelphia feels that he's an extremely valuable player. But the reality is, that hasn't panned out in the playoffs. And any team trading for him would be doing so under the premise that they want to build a team for the future around him. Philadelphia fans have to be realistic in that if he's damaged goods on a roster that is title caliber, then what do they think another team is going to see in him when they put him alongside nobody? He can put up all the stats he wants, but in the end, whoever grabs him is hoping to make him a foundational piece on a team that can be rebuilt and eventually compete. So at some point or another, he's going to have to succeed in the postseason. And I would still love Ben Simmons in a vacuum. But on this Cavaliers roster, I'm not really excited about the prospect of adding Ben Simmons at $35 million a year when we already have issues with offense. Colin Sexton, for all his flaws... I don't want to stack a lineup with a bunch of defense-first players who couldn't hit a jump shot if their life depended on it. We'll come back to the Cavs. But for the situation Simmons is in, he's looking to control his own destiny. When the Sixers are in a period where they have to look at Joel Embiid, they have to look at that extension they signed him to, and think, we have to put people around him to try to win. And Joel Embiid, that's a whole nother situation where just in the past week, so many of his tweets on this situation, I got to wonder where his head is at. In a way, I kind of think his tweets, while presented under the guise of support for Ben Simmons, really are low-key kind of pushing him out the door even further. Now, Joel Embiid, in the last week, he tweeted all of the following. Sources, stop using my name to push people's agenda. I love and hate drama. I love playing with Ben. Stats don't lie. He's an amazing player, and we all didn't get the job done. It's on me personally. I hope everyone is back because we know we're good enough to win. Now that was a tweet he said in reply to a story that they had to pick between Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons because there was a rift developing between them. He feels like the sources were bogus, and he would know because he's one of them. So anyway, he starts out on Twitter with this attack of people suggesting that he's at odds with Ben Simmons. But he follows it up with a bunch of other tweets that seemingly were okay until the very end, because he says the following. For clarity, I love the criticism. I love when I'm told I can't do something. It makes me work harder to prove everyone wrong. And here's the problematic part. But not everyone is built like that. That seems like he's inferring that Ben Simmons is not built like that. Ben Simmons can't handle the criticism and that it may not make him work harder, but may just damage him further mentally and send him into a shell. Now, I'm inferring a whole bunch from that, but I, I don't know what else you would think that he's suggesting. Sounds like he's saying he's built for criticism. Ben Simmons is not, which I don't know how you don't take that as an insult if you're Ben Simmons, especially if you are as sensitive as Ben Simmons appears to be. He says some other things. From my own experience, y'all have no idea how much the media makes up stuff for followers, and shame on you for believing them. I haven't forgotten, but two years ago, I got booed. People in Philly wanted me to be traded. I even shushed them. Only the real ones didn't. But I just put the work in that off season to be better, because I knew I wasn't playing up to my potential. Philly fans, y'all so gotta be. Y'all also gotta be better. Excuse me. At the end, he says, and also, Philly fans, this is your fault, which I don't know how that's helping this situation. Now, the fans love Joel Embiid. They'll probably love him even more because he re-signed. But the idea that they can't hold a number one pick up to expectations, I think that's completely fair, honestly, especially when all they want him to do is assert himself. They're not asking him to become a 40% three-point shooter. They're just asking him to take open shots. So that brings us to where we are today. Ben Simmons wants out. Rich Paul is trying to force the Sixers' hand. The Sixers are still holding on hopes they're going to get some massive package for Ben Simmons. But now, in all likelihood, they're forced to choose between the following. Find Ben Simmons if he doesn't show up at camp. Don't find Ben Simmons, but allow him to not show up at camp because you want him to eventually come back. You don't want to make this even more drawn out and dramatic. And get teams to the point where they see that, well, he's not even going to play for them. We're not going to offer a ton. We're going to give these Deshaun Watson trade offers because the guy is a distressed asset. So they're in this kind of no man's land between now and training camp where unless somebody concedes to their trade demands, they're either going to trade him for probably less than they could have got for him one month ago, or they're going to get rid of him just to wash their hands of it and pivot in the best way possible. I don't think a trade is necessarily a bad thing for Philly, but I just hate for any franchise when a player leverages his way out of a team and the team is forced to deal them for 10 cents on the dollar. I hated it when Anthony Davis did it. I hated it when Paul George did it. And I certainly would have hated it had LeBron James done it. For as much as we crush LeBron James for the decision as an isolated incident, I do appreciate that he didn't undercut the the franchise in a different way of trying to force his way out while he was under contract. He waited till his contract was over, and while the Cavs still got screwed in that situation, of course, years later he came back to a team that we'd built up through the massive sucking that happened between his departure and when he returned, and then they won a title. So, all is forgotten, you're forgiven, LeBron, not that you need my forgiveness. But anyway, back to Ben Simmons some of the various trade possibilities that have been rumored. Now, these aren't necessarily complete constructions of deals. They are various players who have been rumored to be well-attached to Philadelphia in various trade proposals. So let's break down some of those. The guys they obviously should want, Damian Lillard and Bradley Beal, both guys who, of course, there's a lot of rumors around both of them. I don't know that Philadelphia has the assets that either of those teams would want. Washington, more likely I could see going for a deal built around Ben Simmons because he's young and their team, by and large, is just in a position where they're starting to rebuild and they've got a bunch of guys on the final year of their contract and their main asset is, of course, Bradley Beal. Now, I'm not sure where he's at. By all accounts, he still seems willing to re-sign with them and he hasn't forced his way out despite. Media constantly printing stories suggesting that he would at any moment, and it still hasn't happened. So maybe he does not get moved, but there's always that chance when his contract is winding down that at some point Washington is going to see the writing on the wall when they start discussing extensions with him and decide to move him. So those would be guys they would love to bring back. Offense, elite offense from both of them. But if I'm Portland, I want nothing to do with Ben Simmons. If this is not a title roster, A title roster where you pivot off of Damian Lillard and slide Ben Simmons in alongside McCollum? I don't think that's getting it done. I could see Portland constructing a deal where they send CJ to Philadelphia, but by all accounts, Philadelphia has much higher aspirations for Ben Simmons. Then there's the various Warriors rumors, in large part because the Warriors obviously are looking to compete. They're a franchise where Ben Simmons would be able to compete, and He plays a style of basketball that many see as somewhat of a parallel to what Green provides, where he's a willing distributor, he doesn't have to do a lot on the offensive end, and he's very, very good on defense. But I just don't know that there's anything that the Warriors could put together to send back. They would almost certainly have to send back Wiggins and Wiseman and some picks, and I'm sure they might willingly do that, but I would think Philadelphia— is looking to get something more from Ben Simmons than Wiseman when they already have Joel Embiid, not to mention Andre Drummond. If they're going to bring in a prospect, they're going to try to bring in a prospect who plays a position that isn't also occupied by their franchise player. So that leaves, well, Toronto, Minnesota, both teams that have been discussed. They could try to put together a package in Minnesota that brings in D'Angelo Russell or Malik Beasley, maybe both of them, some draft picks. But by all accounts, they want a player and picks. So there's been lots of suggestions that various three-way iterations would happen. Toronto has been rumored to be possibly shopping Siakam before his deal comes up. He's a little bit on the older side. They're kind of in this situation with OG and Scotty Barnes on the younger end where it seems like they might be kind of shifting into somewhat of a younger core. Maybe they're open to moving him, but that's not a deal that I would want for Simmons necessarily. I don't think that that really addresses much when, again, Siakam plays the same position as, well, he's your four at that point probably. You shift Harris to three, I suppose. But I'd be looking to to build a deal around backcourt assets. And I think that's probably what Philadelphia is looking to do. So those are, And, of course, there's the Colin Sexton suggestions. And, you know, maybe that goes somewhere if these extension talks don't go well. But personally, for the amount of money that Simmons takes up of your cap space, I just don't know that I think he's the guy to solve all the Cavs' problems. We have this tendency to fixate on these one-way players. And if I'm going to bring in a superstar making $35 million via trade for the Cavs, I want him to be a contributor on both ends of the floor a significant contributor. And I just don't think we have the offensive firepower around Ben Simmons that we could really maximize the talents he does bring to the table. He's a guy you need to plop into a situation where there's offense everywhere around him because you want to maximize what he gives you on the defensive end while minimizing the liability is on the offensive end. And they haven't been able to do that in Philadelphia, where they have Joel Embiid, where they have Tobias Harris, where they have Seth Curry. What makes anyone think that that's where the Cavs are right now in their development? So for the Sixers, I do think with the priority being the backcourt, I would rule out certain scenarios. I don't think that while Wiggins is a solid player, I just don't know that a package where Wiseman is an integral part is something that makes a whole lot of sense for them. I would not go that route. I would not go the Toronto route. The Minnesota route is tough. D'Angelo Russell makes a ton of money, $30 million a season, and I just don't know that that's the guy who I would want to invest that much money in. So while they could get Beasley or maybe Russell, I don't know that I prefer that deal over the rumored Sacramento situation, which would potentially bring back Tyrese Halliburton and Buddy Heald in some sort of situation that sent Ben Simmons to the Kings. I would like that. Now, I don't know if both those guys would be involved in a package or if it would be centered primarily around, you know, Buddy Heald with Marvin Bagley, or maybe all three of them would be involved. But if I'm the Sixers, there are some benefits to bringing in Heald. One, shooting immediately. The guy's an elite three-point shooter, one of the best in the league. And while defensively, he's nowhere near the level that a Ben Simmons is, you've got Joel Embiid. You've got Matisse, and those guys could help shore up the defense behind Buddy Heald. So I think it makes sense for both in the sense that the Kings, they have some young pieces and they're turning towards being competitive, and they've got Fox. They could put him alongside Simmons. They still have Barnes in the mix, and they have Rashawn Holmes. So that could be an interesting team. And meanwhile, in Philadelphia, you get a chance to add some serious depth and firepower to your backcourt. If you could bring in a Halliburton, if you could bring in a Buddy Hield, and Buddy Hield's contract, for as much as it was panned when he signed the deal as being an overpay, that is not bared out at all. Twenty million dollars, and then eighteen million dollars next season—that's a value. When you look at the guys that were getting near twenty million dollars this offseason, your Norman Powells, your Gary Trent Juniors, even Jared Allen, Buddy Heald is a proven NBA scorer and a proven shooter from distance, who can space the floor for anyone. So of all the proposals I've heard, that one seems the most realistic for me for both parties because I sort of like it for both teams. You can involve picks. Sacramento's not so good that their picks are worthless. There's a lot of components that could be moved in and out depending on who the Kings determine is untouchable in a situation involving Ben Simmons. But it also gets Simmons out to California, which apparently is something that he wants. And while Sacramento is clearly probably the fourth best market of the California-based NBA teams, it's still California, so you could come out here and be taxed into submission. Yes, I am a resident of California, if that wasn't obvious. So anyway, I like the Sacramento angle. I think they should pursue that because there's a lot of ways to modify the deal and tweak it, as opposed to many of the other deals where I don't think the trade makes sense for one party or the other. The most sustainable trades are probably the ones that involve Minnesota and involve the Kings, because the Kings and Minnesota are teams that are just trying to turn towards competitiveness, and Ben's age isn't a detriment, or his lack of development as his age isn't as big of a detriment, because he has time to grow into a much bigger role there and grow with the team, whereas Philadelphia gets players who can immediately help them in the backcourt because addressing front court needs with Harris and Joel Embiid tied into massive contracts, it seems unnecessary to me at this point. Now, all that being said, you get the chance at Damian Lillard or Bradley Beal, you do that. But I definitely wouldn't want it if I'm Portland, and I'd have to think long and hard if I'm Washington, if it makes sense to pay $35 million to Ben Simmons as the focal point of the rebuild effort, or if they'd be better off trying to move him elsewhere in a deal to Boston, say, or somewhere else and just really lean into the rebuild. So we'll know more in the next month or so as to if this is calming down or if Simmons kind of reverses course. This may all just be posturing to try to get a trade done before the season if it's possible, and then maybe once he's in camp, they can rectify the situation to some degree. I'm not confident in that. Rich Paul doesn't seem like the most forgiving agent. Seems like he enjoys flexing his power to some degree. I've gone on entire player empowerment rants before. I would be interested to see C.J. McCollum's take on this scenario. It doesn't reflect well that we're consistently seeing players sign these massive deals. I mean, Damian Lillard just signed a Supermax extension, and there's already suggestions that he may be trying to force his way out. That would be like Giannis next season demanding a trade. At some point, I'm not going to support players signing contracts immediately taking as much money as they possibly can and then saying, "Ah, I don't want to be here. Now, Simmons didn't really do that. He's got a few years left on his deal, but it's a massive deal. And he willingly took the money, and then he no-showed at the most important time, he should understand why fans are upset. The expectations when you're a number one pick surrounded by another possibly top five player in the NBA, I don't think it's even possibly. I think most people would agree with the assessment that Embiid's one of the top players in the league. What more could you possibly want out of a situation? And now you're boxing Philadelphia into this scenario where, by all accounts, it's somewhat of their own creation. I mean, they screwed up the Mark Fultz pick. This one would be a second-failed number one pick. That almost never happens. They also traded Vooch for Andrew Bynum, if we recall that. Anyway, I wasn't trying to pile on the Sixers here. It's not as if Philadelphia is without flaw. The process, all that stuff, it was ridiculous. It was concerted, sucking. But a lot of that is on Ben Simmons. So anyway, that's this week's episode of the Fear the Fro podcast. I realize it was basically just one subject. But as we walk up to the regular season and training camp, there'll be a lot more Cavs coverage. And this, who knows, maybe we circle back and this involves Cleveland somehow. Maybe they get into a three-way involving Simmons or... Maybe they become the focal point. I don't know. We'll see. You can listen to past episodes, all that stuff, at Fear the Fro Pod, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Thank you for listening. I'm Bob Schmidt, the voice of Fox Sports Radio, and this is the Fear the Fro Podcast. Okay, that's enough. Stop it! This has been another Fear the Fro It's Over Podcast. That was pathetic if you enjoyed what you heard today put it on the highlight reel please consider subscribing check out fropod.com for more cavaliers and nba coverage that's what's on display here